it's good, good to be here with you guys. It's good to see uh, faces that I haven't seen in a while beginning to come back as well as virus counts go down a little bit and some are able to come or they have the vaccine now and so they can come out. Anyway, I'm so excited to fill this room again, right? Ah, soon, soon and very soon. So uh, we're going to start the message today I'm with, with art class. All right, so um, not that I'm going to teach you how to draw because I can't draw, but uh, that's all right. We're going we're gonna to start with art class uh, anyway. Um, so uh, I'm excited about this message. I, you know, I, 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 I'm excited about, uh, again, going into Genesis these first few weeks as well. I, I think we have in our world today a, a tendency to overly humanize God. And, and so God becomes, you know, my, you know, the, you know, in my language growing up, you know, my homeboy, right? Or something like this, that Jesus is my homeboy kind of perspective, right? And it's not that Jesus is not our friend. It's not that we don't have the spirit. It's not that he can't interact and relate to us in our world. But when we focus too much on that, we lose kind of this transcendence and the awe that comes with understanding who God is, especially in the book of Genesis. And so that's one of the things that I am enjoying about this series so far is it gives us an opportunity to kind of have our minds blown again. And to recognize this very personal God is also uh, be so far beyond us and so truly, uh, correct use of the word and definition, awesome that, you know, he deserves our worship and we actually should be cowering, if not at least on our face, in worship of him. And so today we're going to highlight several attributes of God that I think really kind of drive this home, that will encourage us to go, I don't understand, but also go, wow, if this is who you are, wow, right? Uh, and so, yes, that, that's where we're headed. But before we get there, I, I wanted to use a little bit of an illustration to start with. So uh, what I want you to do, if you'll notice, if you have sermon notes, if you don't have sermon notes, why not? Come on, what? You, what's your problem? I mean, come on, this is really good stuff I'm about to give you. You need to be writing this down. Uh, anyway, uh, if you don't have sermon notes, that's okay. Just grab a sheet of paper or whatever, because it will help if you can draw, okay? If you can actually have a pen and draw. If you don't, I'm sorry, you're going to miss out. Just look on your neighbors and say, oh man, next time I'll have a pen when I come to church. Uh, anyway, so uh, in your sermon part where it says drawing, uh, drawing pictures, that space is meant for you to draw in, all right? So I gave you a little extra space there, because some of you have a hard time with the finer points, and so you need a little more space. I get that. I get that. Uh, so anyway, so the first thing I want you to draw is I want you to draw a chair. So draw a chair. Just take a minute, you know, draw yourself a chair, a good chair, not a broken chair, a good chair, you know, a chair that you would sit on, a chair that you like, maybe. Just draw yourself a chair. All right. Got that? Anybody not done yet? Chairs can take some time. I get it. So, especially if you're an artist, <laughs> right? Uh, okay. So this is the chair that I was thinking of. I have a picture of it. This is the chair that I was thinking of when I was thinking chair. So did you draw it like that? Anybody draw it like that? that yeah, a couple. Thank you. Thank you. Yes. See, we're just connected. 
Two people are experiencing the Holy Spirit right now. They're, they're getting it. They're coming along. They got it. All right. Good job. Thank you, ladies. All right. So next, we're not going to show you the next picture, but next picture I want you to draw. I want you to draw now a house, right? Simple. Draw a house. Draw your house. Takes a little more time. We'll give you a little more time. Um, my house, it's, you know, pretty nice house. You know, I like my house. I'm, we're blessed to have our house. I can't believe that we got the house that we have. We've got this amazing view. You know, I can't write that in there probably. I'm not very good at drawing, so I couldn't draw my view. I uh, got this cool backyard. Uh, got this cool dog in it. And we have this coffee bar. Have I told you about my coffee bar? Oh, my gosh. It is amazing. Talk about my coffee bar. It's so good. It's like this, you know, kind of, you know, hutch thing with coffee makers on it. And then on the wall is all these mugs. It's amazing. Oh, my gosh. I get every morning, you know, when I'm drinking coffee, you know, when God, like, loves me, uh, I get to go and choose which cup I want, right, to make my coffee. All right, you done with your house yet? Okay. All right. So this is the house I was thinking of. Did, did anybody draw that? Anyone? No one? All right, all right. Well, that's okay. That's, you know, everybody has a different dream, uh, you know. Did anybody put a chimney in their house? Uh, maybe a couple of two stories. Any two-story houses out there, or is it all one story? Yeah, oh, we got one two-story. Most of us, you know, I don't like stairs. I had a two-story house for a while. Yeah, I'm not I'm done with the stairs, right? Uh, but anyway, yeah, some people like the stairs. It's good exercise, right? Up and down, and it, you can separate the kids, right? Go away. <laughs> Downstairs time for adults right now. Uh, anyway, so, okay, so that's, that's house. Now, the next thing I want you to draw, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try to describe. I have a picture that I'm going to try to describe to you, and I want you all to try to draw what I'm describing, okay? So we're kind of taking this next level. Obviously, you're not getting the mental pictures. I was excited after the first, you know, chair. I thought you guys were getting it. Uh, we're having an issue. So I, I'm going to try to now explain kind of this picture step by step, see if you guys can draw this picture. All right, so we're going to start in the middle. In the middle, uh, there are uh, several kind of sweeping lines, kind of like eyelashes, all right? And some are kind of going from the middle and out, uh, and they kind of just work their way around kind of the middle of the of the picture. So, so thin kind of, you know, eyelash kind of, you know, arcing kind of lines in the middle. Um, and, and then just above that kind of section with the eyelash section, we're going to move up to the kind of a little bit to the above that on the right uh, uh, in the picture. And you're going to make like several kind of in a circle, several crosses, but they're kind of thick crosses, kind of gothic crosses, right? So like four or five kind of gothic crosses kind of uh, uh, circling around. That would be good. Um, and, and then when you get that done, so now we're going to move to the, to the bottom left of the picture. So not all the way to the bottom, but, you know, left of the eyelashes. And, and there we've got this kind of almost like a, a, a question mark that's there, but it's like bubble letter. Okay. So it's not, not just like, you know, a question mark, like in just, you know, it's bubbles, right? You know, it's got like, it's, you know, yeah, it's shape, right? You got it, right? You get it. And then next to that, that, uh, that question mark, there's like four leaves coming out of it. So they kind of have that leaf shape and, and, and they go in different directions, kind of around that question mark. And then below that is like an exclamation point. 
uh, and it's a bubble again, a bubble exclamation point. But the dots are, uh, well, like they're supposed to be. There's a bunch of dots on the bottom of it, kind of around the bottom of it. So it's not just one dot. It's just an exclamation point, all right? Uh, uh, There's so much more, but that's all we have time for. All right, so uh, hopefully you have a beautiful picture. I'd love to see some of your pictures. Anyone? Anyone want to show me what they have? Honey, what do you have? Show me. Oh, yes, you're amazing. So good. So, all right, so this is what it's supposed to look like. Um, I, you know, we, if we had more time, I think we could have got there. Uh, it, it, we, we eventually would have been there. It would have been perfect, I'm sure. My directions, your guys' skill, it, it would have been perfect. Uh, so anyway, so why do I do this? The point being is this. <laughs> that this is often, uh, when we start talking about God... This is what it's like for us. Uh, sometimes it's the simple things. We can say, hey, just draw a chair. If we were to look around at all of our chairs, they'd probably be similar. Even if they weren't like the picture I put up, they'd probably be similar. They probably have four legs. They probably have a seat. They probably have a back to sit on, you know, sit up. So there'd be similarities to it, and we can kind of understand a chair. When I said house, again, uh, you know, the, most people had an idea of what a house was, or at least a stick figure house, right? May not have been as, you know, detailed as what I put up there or what I, you know, that kind of picture, but you kind of get the idea of what a house is, yet every one of us have a different kind of interpretation of what a house is and how we would draw that, what that would look like. Same with this picture. This is, this is the reality that God is so complex. He's so far removed and beyond us. He is indescribable. However, there are pieces of him that we can describe. The eyelashes, that's, he's not really eyelashes, but he's like eyelashes here. He, he, the crosses, he's not really a cross, but he's kind of like crosses here. The exclamation point, he's not really an exclamation point, but he's kind of like an exclamation point here. And so this, when we're talking about God, we have to recognize that this is reality. Uh, the weakness maybe of our language, even to describe him. But also just the full reality that we can never fully comprehend him. And so the things that we can know, we can know even those things just in part. But he's so far, more, so much more than that. Uh, so the, the key to understand is that God is not tangible, but he is real. God is not fully knowable. But he can be known. And so anyway, so as we continue through some of these attributes of who God is, I hope this will help you to kind of get this picture of God. This is kind of how we're trying to talk about God. We're using human language and human symbols in order to understand something that is not human, that is so far beyond us. Yet is still, again, can be known. He's revealed himself to us. The pieces that we need to know, we can know. And this is a beautiful thing about the God that we worship. Amen? All right. So first, uh, three things. The title of our sermon, The Eyes of God. I have three I words that we're going to be looking at. Uh, And the first one is God's infinitude. Yes, that is a word. It sounds like a made-up word, like I made it up, but I didn't. Okay, this is a real word, infinitude. It means that which is infinite, right? And so in Job, I want to read this passage, Job 11, 7 to 9. Can you find out the deep things of God? Can you find out the limit 
of the Almighty. It is higher than heaven. What can you do? Deeper than Sheol. What can you know? It measures is longer than the earth and broader than the sea. We understand through Scripture that God is beyond, God is infinite. He has no boundaries. He is limitless. And this is an important perspective to have to understand that God is not just bigger than the universe. Sometimes we can say that, like God is bigger than, no, God has no space. To talk about God as being bigger is actually, that's, it's, it's wrong, okay? Because God doesn't take up space, right? He doesn't have a body. He's not, he's not bigger, just bigger than the universe, okay? He's totally separate from the universe. He's totally beyond the universe, he is so much more than the universe. He is totally and completely unlimited. God is not lacking anything. This is another aspect of his infinitude. He's not lacking anything. He, he, he can't, he, there's nothing we can add to him. Right? You know, sometimes we look at infinity and we want to give him like a mathematical infinity. You know, mathematical infinity is like an, an infinite number, right? A list of numbers or, or you keep on going. That's, that's not God. He doesn't have an infinite number of parts. He doesn't have an infinite uh, number of days, right? He's outside of time, right? He has no, he's always now for God. He doesn't, you know, he's not bound by the laws of time. So he's beyond those things. So, but that's not the kind of infinity we're talking about, mathematical. We're talking about the fact that he has all that he, he has all that he needs. He has all that he is. He is, whatever he is, he is all of that. So if he is experience, if he is existence, not experience, but if he's existence, he is all uh, existence. There's, there's no existence outside of him. He can't get more existence. He is all of it. If he, is, if he has knowledge, he has an infinite amount of knowledge, which means that he has all of the knowledge he doesn't, there's nothing outside of him that he doesn't know. There's nothing he can't comprehend, nothing he can't understand. He knows it all. We can't, you know, this is why the passage is Job. What, what can we teach him? What can we tell him? We can't. There's not, he knows it all. Also, this means that his love, if he's loving, he is all loving. All love is in him. This is why we say when we act in a loving way, it is his love, not our love. All love, and, and, and we can't teach him to love more. It's impossible for him to love more. He loves completely, fully. He is all love. And so the first important aspect is to understand this, or at least have an idea, be able to speak about the infinitude of God, that he is infinite. He is beyond us. He, he, he encompasses all things. He has no boundaries. He has no limits. And this is important because a contained God is an out-of-control God. If God could fit in something, if God was limited by space and time, if God could, you know, if there was, you know, limits to his love, then how much could he love us? He could love us more, but he's not. If there's knowledge outside of God, then does he know tomorrow? I don't know tomorrow. He doesn't know tomorrow. Who knows tomorrow? So we have this understanding that if he is contained, if he has any limits, then he's out of control. 
And his goodness and his will is not guaranteed. A partial God, a limited God, is not trustworthy. Because there may be something he doesn't know. There may be a level of love that he, doesn't, he doesn't, can't give. So we have to understand that God is infinite. All right, next. And this, one, this one's a fun one. This was going to stretch, pull. You're gonna, you're, you might fight me on this one. That's okay. This is good. Uh, it, second one. God is immutable. Immutability. Big word, I know. I'll explain it in a moment. But first I want to read uh, Numbers chapter 23. I'll get there eventually. <clears throat> 23 verse 19. God is not man that he should lie, or son of man that he should change his mind. Has he said, and will he not do it? Or has he spoken, and will he not fulfill it? God does not change. That's what immutability means. God not only does not change, God cannot change. If we understand, uh, uh, and again, this is complex, so uh, we're going to stretch our minds here. Hopefully this, we can get some, uh, some, some words out that make some sense. Again, the, 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 the very detailed picture, we're just kind of speaking about the eyelashes right now, maybe a little bit of, of trying to understand this. So if God is a necessary being, as we talked about last night, if he is existent, self-existent, always existed, he needs to exist, he's necessary in order for all other existence to happen, that means he can't change because he had changed at any time, then he would not be the necessary being. Now he's something other than that necessary being, right? And so uh, we have to understand that God cannot change because if he's changing, there is something outside of him that is causing him to change. He is not the beginning. He is not, the, he is not what he is. Uh, another way to say it is God has no potential, now, we, we as human beings, you know, we like to talk about people's potentials. Oh, you know, my kid, he's got great potential. Someday he's going to be a star, right? You know, we talk about potential. And this is a good thing. And most of the time we think about potential and it's a good thing. So you go, well, what do you mean God doesn't have any potential? God has no potential because he can't you know, improve. He, he can't get better, right? God is perfect. And so if he was to change in any way, then he was either, he either becomes less perfect or more perfect. And you can't have something that's more perfect if it's perfect. And so God is unchangeable because he has no potential. A, a, a being with potential can become what he currently is not. God cannot become what he currently is. He can't, cannot stop, cease to be what he currently is. And so he can't change. He can't get better. He can't get more perfect. Another aspect of this. God has no, and this, this blows our minds, okay? God has no progression. He has no progression of thought or decision. You know, as human beings, you know, when we're making a big decision, 
right? We, we spend a lot of time thinking about it, right? We process it in our heads, right? We talk to other people about it. We try to get different opinions. What's the right choice? What do we do? How do we, how do we go about this? With God, there is none of that. Okay, God has no progression. He doesn't have to kind of, you know, mull over it for a while to decide, is this the right course or action or not? No, every thought that God has is perfect. Every thought that he has, every decision that he makes is perfect. There's no changing it. There's no, oops, oh, I made a mistake. Ah, let's try this again. Okay, God cannot change his mind. He cannot change even his emotions. We'll get to that a little bit more in a bit. He doesn't have to process his decision. He doesn't have to rethink his decisions. He doesn't ever like go, oh, dang, messed that one up. <laughs> All right, let's try again. You know, there's no trial and error with God. So now let's, there's, there's some pieces that maybe even in your mind you're going, well, what about this? So, so let me talk about some of those whatabouts. First of all, what about Scripture? Like in Genesis 6, 5 and 6, where it says that God regretted that he created man. Right? This is right before the flood, right? And so everything is evil. There's horrible things going on. And God's there. And he's like, ah. And God says, I, I regret that I made, uh, uh, you know, made man. And so we're going to start over with just Noah, right? So what do we do with a scripture like that? Wait a second. That seems like God is changing his mind or that God made a mistake. That he didn't plan this to happen this way. And it did happen this way. And now he's like, ah, I got to change. You know, we got to try again. We're going to start kind of over again with, with Noah. But we, we need to understand that th this is no different than scriptures, especially in the psalm, that talk about God having arms or legs or eyes, right? Or, or, or whatever, or a body of some sort. It's called an anthropomorphism. And when we're writing in scripture, again, we're trying to, the, the complex picture, uh, you know, we're trying to write about God. We can't fully comprehend God, and so the, but the only way that we can communicate about who he is is to use things, images that we understand, images that are in our world. And so when we see a, a, a few of the verses out there where it seems like God is changing his mind or God is relenting or regretting, okay, these are, we're, we're giving human characteristics to God who is not human. The next what about? If God is unchanging, what about prayer? Why do we go to prayer? I mean, why do we spend time, you know, coming? Why does God tell us to come to him? I mean, if it's not going to change his mind, if he's already decided what it's going to be, and, you know, there's, there's no change, you know, he's not going to, you know, deal with this, right? Uh, you know, we already noticed that he's timeless, right? So he's not inside time. So it's not like he's kind of coming along with us, you know, and, we're, and he doesn't know what tomorrow brings. He says, oh, so you're praying for this. Okay, well, now I'll make tomorrow be what you want it to be. No, so we already know he's outside of time, but now he also doesn't change. So why do we pray? Understand, again, I've said this before and others have too, that prayer is not about changing God. It's always about changing us. But also understand this, because God is outside of time, he, in Matthew, uh, actually Matthew 6 tells us this, right? Uh, it, it, we usually just kind of put this in a very human perspective. Uh, it says that, uh, you know, God, God, or Jesus is talking to his disciples saying, hey, you know, when you pray, don't go babbling on and just keep on going and going and going with your prayers, okay? You know, that's what the pagans do. You don't need to do that. You don't need to try to convince me of things. He says, I already know what you're going to pray before you pray it. 
Now, again, we put that in a human chronology, and so we kind of think, oh, yeah, he already knows our thoughts, what we're about to pray. And so, no, no, no. God already knew, if you will, from our time perspective, before the creation of the world or at the moment of the creation of the world. He knew what we would be praying. Understand when we go to prayer, it's not about trying to change God. It's about us coming to understand who God is and what his will is. Now, we still come to him. He still wants us to come to him because in doing so, we have the opportunity to see God's work. We get to put ourselves in the right perspective that we are totally reliant on this being who is so far removed and beyond us. God knows our prayer before the beginning of time. Just like he knew every day that we were going to have, Psalm 139, before one happened, every word he knew before we spoke it, he knew every prayer at the very beginning of time. Next, what about, what about salvation and condemnation? I mean, if God doesn't change, right? I mean, if we're sinners, that means we're going to be condemned. I mean, why would he change his mind about us after we you know, come to Jesus, right? Well, he can't change his mind. We're condemned. We all knew that. You know, we're totally depraved. We're totally, you know, you're sinners. We're going we're to, you know, we deserve you know, condemnation. So, you know, how, do, how does God, you know, God's changing, isn't he? Because once we bow our knee to Jesus as Lord, then we're not going to be condemned. We're not now saved. How does this work? Again, God is not the one who's changing. We are the ones who are changing. If you can look at it, at the moment of salvation, what happens is we move across a line. We are in line, we're on one side of the line that is death, God's wrath. But the moment we give our life to Christ, we step across that line, and now we're on the line of mercy and life. How God treats us is differently the moment we Step across that line. And so we are experiencing him moving, but it's us that's moving, not God who is moving. We are the ones who change. We are moving from an object of wrath to an object of mercy when we uh, come to salvation. He always, God always condemns rebels. He's unchanging in that. He always saves those who surrender to Jesus as Lord. Always. There's no change. All right, so uh, again, I, I admit, difficult concept. You're going to continue to wrestle with this. We're just kind of touching the surface of this. If you want more, there's more out there. You can study this more, but it's very, uh, it's important piece. Why is it important? Is because if God is not immutable, then God's word and his will are a moving target. We would have to constantly be trying to figure out what is true about God if he changed, Right? If he changed, we have to, well, wait, I thought he was this way, but now he's this way. I mean, we see this in other religions in our world already. God seems to be always changing, and they're adding new scripture to kind of define this new aspect of God. You know, this is not the God that we worship. The God of scripture is unchanging. And if he did change, again, his word and his will would be moving targets, and we would never know for sure if we really knew him. Next, God is not experimenting. This, this world, this creation is not some experiment gone wrong. 
He always does the right thing. This world is very purposeful. It was made on purpose, rightly, and good. And finally, if God is not immutable, can we really believe that our soul is secure? If God's going to change his mind, right? If God's going to change, can we really have any kind of sense that he's going to be faithful? That we bowed our knee to Jesus as Lord, does that mean I'm saved or not, right? So this is, these are important pieces. We have to understand this about God's immutability because if it doesn't, it throws these other pieces into despair, right? What are we going to do with this? Who is this God that we're now worshiping? Okay, so that's immutability. The final one that I want to touch on this morning, the final I word is impassibility. And again, this will stretch our minds. This is hard to comprehend. And, and really, how do we live this way? What does this look like? How, does we, how do we get this into our brains and into our lives? Uh, so another Job passage I'd like to read for this one. Uh, Job chapter 35 this time. Thirty-five verses 5 to 7. Look at the heavens and see and hold the clouds which are higher than you. If you have sinned, what do you accomplish against him? And if your transgressions are multiplied, what do you do to him? If you are righteous, what do you give him? Or what does he receive from your hand? Impassibility means that God cannot undergo passion or suffering. No one can inflict pain on God. No one can cause him to be in misery. He can't be hurt or wounded or impacted even by anything that happens in creation. Immediately, you may say, well, what about Jesus, right? And so we are not going to get it totally into this, but it's called the hypostatic union. Hypostatic union is Jesus. He is 100% man, but he's also 100% God. And so the way we understand the impassibility of God in, in light of Jesus is that in, in, in Jesus' godness, he did not suffer. But in his humanity, he did suffer and die. Again, now, hypostatic union is another one of those things. We have some words, complex picture. We've got some words that we can use to kind of try to understand it, but we will never fully understand how this works. We're used to 100% of things. We're not used to 200% of things. How can it be 100% God and 100% man? We don't understand. So moving on with impassibility, God is not emotional. We don't have to worry about God's kind of, you know, the, the God kind of, you know, freaking out, right? Again, he doesn't, he doesn't allow his emotions aren't going to kind of swing back and forth, right? He's not bipolar, right? He's not one day, oh, I'm really happy, you know, like me. Like sometimes I'm up here, hey, look at Pastor Sean, he's so fun today. And then other Sundays, like, man, he's kind of a little rough today. What's going on with Pastor Sean, right? Because that's because I have emotions and I bounce back and forth and they're not very stable, right? So take medication. No, not nearly. But anyway, so and if you do, that's okay. It's a good thing. Anyway, I'm getting in trouble now. Moving on. So God is not that. That way, okay? God doesn't have that kind of swing in emotions. He's not an emotional being, but he does have emotion. 
Now, this is where we as human beings go, wait a second, how can you have emotions if they're not going to be impacted by other things that are going on? Because we see emotions as reactions to life events. Someone says a word to us, we're like, oh, thank you, I love you. Someone says a word to us, hey, jerk, what's up your room? Man, come on, back off. Uh, you know, we, so emotions are always kind of based on what's going on. With God, that's not the case. He has emotions, but they're unchanging emotions. They're not dependent on the events that are happening. Again, as Job, Job's talking about, you know, if, if we are sinning and our sins multiply, what effect does it have on God? None. If we're doing great righteousness, what effect does it have on God? None. God is impassable. He has emotions, but his emotions are consistent and unchanging. He always loves good. Always. And he always hates evil. He always loves coffee. <laughs> right? I mean, I do, so it must be true. Right? So his emotions don't change. It's consistent. Again, even with our repentance, it doesn't change God's feelings about us. We are just moving from God's judgment side and emotion and experiencing that side of God or an essence of God and moving to the love side of God. We now get to experience his love. But he's consistently those things. The next aspect of impassibility is that he does not need anything. He is totally self-sufficient. Sometimes we get this kind of warped perspective of God that, you know, he created because, you know, he was lonely and he just wanted more relationship and he just wanted to create some beings that would love him and just love him back. He just, he was just a lonely God. No, this is not God. He does not need us. He needs nothing. Nothing can be added to him. We can't help him in any way. And you might go, well, what about service? Why does God call us to serve others? You know, is that our form of worship? It's to serve Well, yes, it is a form of worship, but our service is not to him. It's to others. We serve God by serving others. Our service doesn't help him. He is not moved by our obedience. I think it was Ray that I was having a conversation with a couple weeks back, and he was quoting this as well, and I was like, yes, that's it. And he says that God is the mover. He is the unmoved mover. He is the one that ignites everything that happens. He's the one that created all of this. He's the one that started this whole system. Creation was his idea. Creation is what he started. Every pray, prayer we pray, every song we sing, every message we give, every time we open, every discipline that we practice is always ignited by God, not by us. You know, I, I'm reminded of uh, the teenager that wants, you know, you know the, the attaboy for like doing his job, right? Like, you know, your, 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 your chores are when you wake up in the morning, you make your bed. Right? And then they make their bed and they come up, oh, I made my bed, I made my bed. 
bad. I made my bed. Woohoo! Look at me. Like we're like freaking out, right? And you're like, um, yeah, that's what you're supposed to do, right? Uh, this is kind of common sense. We told you this. This is what it is. You're not getting any extra bonus for making your bed. We sometimes look at God like this, like, look what I did, God. Look at these amazing disciplines. Now do I get much more blessings? No, no, no. God is already blessing us beyond comprehension. And our obedience is not going to necessarily increase that. It's not going to increase that. It's not like he's going, oh, well, now that you're obedient, now I'm going to give you blessings. Now, again, this is, we're getting into the, you know, how does the creation work? Okay, there's some different things going on with creation, natural laws of how things work. Okay, but God is not moved by our obedience. He is the one who's moving us to obedience. If we are obedient, we give, we give praise to him. All right, so the importance of impassibility is simply this, that God doesn't need us, but he wants us in intimate relationship. In some sense, doesn't this make it even better? If God needed us, I mean, we, we want to be needed, right? That, that kind of like makes us feel better about ourselves, some sense that, oh, well, God really needs us, so you know, oh, I'm going to help God out. Right? I'm, I don't want to be needed. But isn't it better that we have a God who doesn't need us, he just wants us? That he just wants us to be in, in, that he's done it all, that he's given us all this, he blessed us, and he gave us life. But only, and not only that, when we, when we messed up life, he sent us the answer. Also, the importance of his impassibility is that God's emotions are not fickle. We have to worry about emotional outbursts from God. He's consistent. He's stable. Again, unchanging. He always loves. He always loves us. And he always hates sin. Never going to change. All right, worship team, come up. We're going to, closing thoughts. We're going to go into communion. We're going to sing a song. I'm going to come back up. We're going to do another, all in 10 minutes. We can do it. So, uh, so I want to close with this thought and then go into communion. How do we respond to a God like this? I mean, we think about the realities of God and who He is, as we've discovered just the last couple of weeks. The, the transcendence of God, that He's beyond us, the, the timelessness of God, that He's not controlled by time, that He has no space, that He has no time, that He's beyond all of that, that He's unchangeable, that He is big, he, he's infinite, like we can't add anything to Him. He has it all. Whatever He is, He has it all. He can't be contained. When we think about this aspect of God, what is our response? The only appropriate response is worship. I mean, do we actually think that we're smarter than him? Do we actually think that we somehow know more than him? That we're somehow wiser than him? Or that like our will, you know, what we want is better than what he wants for us? We so often live our lives distrusting God, like somehow he's, you know, dangerous, or we don't know what he's going to actually do, and so we're kind of afraid of that, but yet he's an unchanging God. He's a faithful God. 
He's a, a God who's in control. He is above and beyond all of this. What are we doing doubting this? What are we doing not trusting him? What are we doing not on our face saying, you are awesome and powerful, God, and my life is yours? This is the appropriate response. I think so often, again, especially today, we miss this perspective. We miss this reality that he's so far removed from us, so much more powerful, so much more knowledgeable, so much better than us. And so we go through our lives with this deception, thinking, oh, you know, my will's, it's it's okay. I can do my thing. I don't really need God. I can do that. No. If we understand this aspects of God, on our face, in awe, he's so far beyond us. I can trust him totally if I understand who he is. Whether I trust him or not actually doesn't matter. It doesn't change him. It only matters for me. As we go to communion, may we let this perspective be driven home Because when we understand that this God who is so far beyond us, incomprehensible, indescribable, yet he came to earth and somehow came to earth, lived among us, and died for us. What? The love of God is expressed in the life and death and resurrection of Jesus is beyond all other love. Even God tells, Jesus tells us this, right? No greater love that anyone can have than to lay down their life for a friend. So we pull out the uh, wafer on the top. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your grandness your greatness your awesomeness and Lord I confess that as you led me in preparing this message this week I was recognizing again my my flippancy with you (laughs) my tendency to just rely on my own abilities and just do my own thing and forget about you, which, how can I? Because not only are you so beyond me, but you are also so personal to me. I don't know how you do it. It doesn't make sense to me. I just know you do. I can read about it and understand it, at least to some extent, but I also can experience it as you speak to me as you love me, encourage me. And so, Lord, as we partake this morning of the broken body of Jesus, the symbol that represents his life given for us, we do so with a renewed awe and a renewed commitment to follow you wherever you lead. In Jesus' name, let's take it together. And as we open the cup, Lord, we also 
are just amazed at your goodness. And we haven't got there yet in this series, but we will. And the fact that you do love us, I, I don't understand it again, but I know it because I read it in your word and I also have experienced it myself. Lord, I thank you that you are a God that you can be experienced. And that, Lord, you are a God who wants to be known and you've revealed aspects of yourself to us so that we can have some idea, we can get some pieces of the picture. But most importantly, that, God, you are a God who is personal. And you want each and every one of us to experience you, experience your love. This is the way you've created us created us for relationship with each other and with you, a loving, intimate relationship with you. So Lord, again, we partake of this cup, again, thanking you for what you've done for us, your continued pursuit of that reconciled relationship, which started in some sense with Jesus pouring out his blood on the cross. So Lord, thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's take together. All right, church, let's stand and sing a song, and then I'll be right back up. Heavenly Father, we do again just thank you for this, this morning. We thank you for uh, the revelation of who you are. And as we close this service, Lord, I just want to, again, just point our direction to you. And, uh, and again, recognize the appropriate response for how we should respond to a God like you. In Ephesians chapter 3, verses 14 and following, for this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. God bless you, church. Have a great day.